We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. part-time at an art gallery in Chicago, Hofheimer Gallery. One day I came in and there were two books on the table, covered with a piece of paper with the words Ricky written on it. This was a bit odd as I had not requested any books from Teresa, the owner. We are constantly talking about books and exchanging art books and literature, but we hadn't discussed these. The two books were new, small, beautifully constructed hardcovers filled with lots of hand-drawn illustrations. When I spoke to Teresa, she told me they were written by Dimitri, this interesting person she met that she thought would be a great guest for Eager to Know. He was a former taxi driver, former bartender, a big live music fan, but most importantly, he does drawings and writings about these experiences, usually from life. He has documented much of this in four books. So I started reading the first book, which is an exploration with wonderful drawings of his experiences in live music venues and his relationships with musicians and bands. I was only halfway through the book and I emailed Dimitri and asked him to be on Eager to Know. I definitely wanted to meet him and have him share his story with Eager to Know listeners. I invited him over to my home. I made some strong coffee. We had some leftover birthday cake while we had this talk. I am pleased to share my conversation with artist Dimitri Samarov. So let's talk about you coming here from Russia. I know mm -hmm. when we did like the pre-interview, you mentioned that that was a significant, obviously a significant thing. Yeah, that's, what do you what do you want to tell me about that? Well, uh, I mean, well, I, I wasn't asked <laughs> if I wanted to come, but I was seven years old and my family decided in, in 1978 to uh, to move to America. Uh, and uh, one day, you know, we gathered up our stuff and they told me I was going on a trip. They didn't say where we're, we were going or that we weren't coming back. <laughs> really? And yeah. so that seven, so that would be here in the U S that would have been second grade. Um, yeah. can you tell me a little bit about like what you were living? Were you living in a city? Were you living in a in Moscow? Yeah. And I did. So in the Soviet union, for whatever reason, the, the grades were done differently. So I was, I was only in first grade as a seven year old. Uh, so I did most, uh, we left, I think around March, uh, or February or March of 78, we went and there was a process. So you had to go to, uh, Austria, Vienna, Austria, and then Italy and wait, uh, to be accepted into America. Um, you had to get, uh, so this, it was a political refugee situation. It was, so we were Jews and, uh, we're granted political asylum. So it was done in cooperation with Israel. So Israel facilitated this process and there's these kind of resettlement agencies and other kind of deals uh, between the countries that allowed this ha to happen. A very small trickle of Jews out of the Soviet Union in the 70s. So you went from Moscow to Boston to 
Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, you, yeah, Brooke, outside Brookline, Brookline, yeah, Brookline, which is a suburb, kind of like Evanston would be to Chicago, connected, so, you know, right. near suburb. Yeah, and Brookline is a pretty liberal area. It is now, uh, right? Well, see the thing. Yeah, about, I guess what I'm what I'm getting to. I'm wondering about um, it. You how you would adapt. Um, and I mean, did you, what was your English? Uh, no English. No English. Okay. No so Eng- you moved, you moved to Brookline, Massachusetts, seven years old mm-hmm. and you did not speak English. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I was put in ESL classes. English is a second language. Uh, but as a seven year old, you're sort of, you're a sponge. You, you pick up languages very quickly. I mean, by third grade. Well, one of the things they did is they stuck me in second grade. I should have been in third grade age wise. So they cost me a year of my life, which I haven't forgiven them for still, you know, yeah. but I was stuck in school an extra year. Uh, but, but yeah, by third grade, I knew every swear word <laughs> and, uh, and I was able to stop going to the SL classes. Uh, oh, really? That, that quickly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Within a year or two. Yeah. Uh, but also because there was such a tiny uh, Russian speaking population, there was not, I couldn't function without... Uh, full immersion learning English, you know, in the day to day. How did it work with you and the other kids? Were you bullied, picked on? Did you, how did what was that somewhat? Uh, like? I mean, yeah, I, I made my my one friend that I had th- like throughout school. Basically, I didn't make many friends, uh, didn't fit in, and uh, Boston and that New England area is not not very welcoming to. Outsiders or strangers, uh, the very uptight people <laughs> and uh, close minded. And uh, so it's funny. We, yeah, when you, you mentioned uh, Brookline being liberal or whatever, I, I didn't see it that way. And uh, a little bit like here, like in Chicago, where, you know, everybody's a Democrat. It, it doesn't really mean anything. I, I found it to be a stifling and conservative place, you know. OK, OK. Yeah. Well, I mean, I grew uptight up and. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, um, okay. Uh, now, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? No. no okay, so you're an introvert. Yeah. So you weren't you weren't clamoring to make social connections with kids, <laughs> anyhow. <laughs> I I don't know that I knew how. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I may have wanted to, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I had the skills or the aptitude or whatever natural okay. inclination. I'm curious about. Uh, living in, we don't talk a lot about this. I'm just kind of yeah. curious about living in Moscow. Like, did you live in, what, what did it look like? Did you live in a house? Did you live in an apartment? Well, what fir- does, what does Moscow neighborhood look like? I have no idea. Uh, I mean, my memories of it are very sketchy, but, uh, the first six years of my life, we lived in a communal apartment. So it was, a, it was a big apartment split up between four families and we lived in a room with a shared kitchen and bathroom. Uh, me and my parents, and then my younger brother who came along uh, when I was three and a half. Okay, so he stayed behind. And what did your dad do for work? Uh, he, he's a mathematician. Uh, oh. He was, yeah. And I think he had started teaching, uh, you know, after I was born. Yeah. Uh, he's involved in statistics, uh, That's and that's what he did for his career when okay. he... When he came here too. Now I'm curious about looking back and I know that you wouldn't remember everything when you think of how school and 
um, in the culture of school and learning in the U.S., how was that different from how it was in Moscow? Uh, in Moscow, from what I remember, well, we had uniforms is much, much more rigid. Uh, I had a teacher who I, I had uh, like long curly hair and she kept threatening to cut it. And, uh, you know, according to my, my parents, there was a lot of anti-Semitism that like she hated me. The teacher mm. hated me because I was a Jew. Okay. Uh, this I didn't know personally, you know. Okay. I didn't feel personally. I remember there was, uh, we had some sort of uh, holiday or like special uh, event thing where the parent, the mothers were asked to sew uniforms, like sailors uniforms. And there was always shortages on materials and goods. So my mom didn't get the right shade of like shirt or something to sew. And I remember being embarrassed that like it, it's that thing of a, you know, kids always want to fit in. They want to be like everybody else. Right. You know, they want to right. be little conformists uh, and uh, just feeling different a lot. Uh, that I remember. I remember. Uh, so we all had to wear these like these uh, pin, these Lenin pins, you know, with the red star. And I remember taking it off and doodling on it, like with a pen, ballpoint pen. Like, okay. And I got in trouble for that. Yeah, I can see uh, that. So that was yeah, the my early artistic efforts. You know, <laughs> I have a book. Uh, the the book uh, after the music book is called Soviet Stamps, and it's sort of an attempt at a kind of an immigration memoir. All right. I'm getting into art. Um, you know. Okay, I'll re- I'll definitely read that. Um, now, when did cr- creativity Expressing creativity start. Uh, you, had, I read that you had played violin. Violin was yeah. that first, or was drawing first? Can you just tell me about? Well, how the it violin all thing was uh, th- that was a project of my uh, of my mother. <laughs> you know, that was a thing of where uh, you know she didn't. She had these uh, unrealized musical dreams. You know, she wasn't. Uh, her mother didn't make her practice the piano but you know since she didn't get to do it she was going to live vicariously through her son uh and so my first instrument was actually a flute so i got you know i had a piccolo flute i went to the music the music school and the the flute teacher left and they decided that i was just such a profoundly talented student and i had perfect pitch and blah 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 all the shit that i have no idea if it's true or not but uh they said, oh, well, he's way too good for, way too talented for the sh- shitty flute, you know, and you can just switch him up to the violin. Okay. Because I guess that that was higher up on the rungs or something. Okay. And I hated that instrument from day one, and I hated it for eight years. Uh, and, and you continued to do it? I was made to. Okay. She made me play for eight years. <sighs> Holy <laughs> so crap. Age six to age 14. Oh, my God. I still I still hate orchestral music because of because that. Because of that, you were scarred uh-huh. permanently. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, you, know, I, I, you know, I play it up a little, but still, I hated that instrument. Uh, <laughs> but you liked the concept of music and reading music and that whole world? You just I, didn't like the instrument? I love music. I mean, you know, as I mean, you read that music book. Music is like a daily part of my life. Like, I look for new mu- music every day day you know it's a, it's a very active part of my life but that instrument was the wrong choice <laughs> did it turn into something that was a better choice at some point uh i never uh well i just for the third time in my life i bought a guitar i've once again bought a guitar i i, I buy them and then i sell them or give them away because i don't 
do anything with them. So you're more interested in experiencing music of others than creating music? So far. Okay. Well, you know, but you never I'm know. I'm 51. Who knows? You never know what might happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what about artwork, like drawing? I know you ultimately went to art school. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me about that part of your childhood and was that drawing was and always a constant. It, it's what I, I always did. It's, you know, it's how I talk to the world. Uh, drawing, painting. Yeah, it's it's always been there. Um, you know, it's the only reason I went to college of any kind was art school. I wasn't going to go to college. So art school was a compromise between me and my parents. Okay. And so yeah. you talk to the world. That's interesting. I Do you know Eleanor Ferris? I don't know her. Briefly was in school with her son. Well, I interviewed Eleanor on the podcast. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she said that I found so interesting, what you just said reminds me of it is she had said that it's basically the way that she communicates to yeah. the world is yes. through her artwork. Yep. And I found that interesting being, you know, personally, I'm an extrovert. Mm. So I have plenty of ways that I can express myself uh, mm-hmm. without art. Yeah. And then so to to hear her say that it was so fascinating. And it made me grateful that we we had her artwork to see what was in her head. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me about that's your way that you communicate? Wow. It's, it, it's, that's the way I relate to the world. I mean, like, like you were saying, it's, I look at things and then I think about, you know, how, if, if there's a way to, to paint them, you know, how to catch that something of it. Um, uh, uh, it's an indirect, you have to have a remove in order to deal with the world this way, the way I do. So what do you mean? Uh, you have, you have to be at a distant distance. You can't be, you can't see, uh, the composition or the painting. If you're inside the frame, you know, you have to be outside of the frame in order to see it, you know? Yeah, I know. Like, you know, if I was going to do a painting of this, I, I could see you, I could see the computer and the microphone. If I was on the other closer to you, I wouldn't see any of that. Yeah. I, you need a distance, and the distance is not just uh, uh, physical. It's it's emotional. It's <laughs> it's in every way. You need to be removed. You need to be an observer, fly on the wall, and that's that's been sort of my stance my whole life. Being an observer, being outside of things, yeah, and that you know, you don't need to be Doctor Freud to relate that to being an, an immigrant, like a you know foreigner in a you know, stranger in a strange land kind of deal, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it all relates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, in, in a, almost any situation, I can get, get myself to not be part of it. And it's great for making art, not so great for relationships, <laughs> you know, yeah. in my experience, at least. Yeah, there's problems. <laughs> yeah. When you want to stand apart from a thing instead of participating in it, you know, you want to see the whole picture. Uh, the person that's in the picture with you is sometimes not appreciative, appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then when they get used in books or paintings or whatever, there's also friction from that because, I mean, what, what is art made of? Art is made of life, like your life. I mean, unless, I don't know. I always tell people I have no imagination and no need of it, like, because everything is in front of your eyes and in, you can hear and see everything you need. There's no need to invent anything. 
it's all right here, you know, like right in front of you. Uh, but yeah, then when, you know, you paint a portrait or uh, write somebody into a book, uh, they may not see themselves the way you see them <laughs> and they may not like it. Yeah. So there's been some problems over the years sometimes. I can see that in reading your old style book. Uh, there was definitely some personal interactions that yeah. I can see that people would be, uh, I don't know they could be a reaction or something being, being included. Yeah. Um, when you do you looking back, uh, being in Moscow before mm -hmm. the immigration mm -hmm. trauma, it sounds like it was pretty traumatic. Uh, were you a <laughs> observer back then? And the reason why I ask yeah. this is, you know, when I was that age, I recently realized that I was, oh, I've always been an observer. Mm -hmm. Um, and even back when I was the age that you were in Moscow. Mm -hmm. So that's like hardwired in me. And this is in Massachusetts or? Yeah, in Mass yeah I spent yeah, my yeah. whole, my whole life was in, I, I graduated from high school living in the same house that I was born in. Mm. So oh, I never, wow. I never moved. I, I went, I graduated high school with kids I went to kindergarten with. So, but what, but so do you think you were an observer is, are you hardwired that way? You, you, you implied that it was a result of being an immigrant. And I'm just, just I don't asking. know if it was a result of it, but it, it was uh, reinforced or like it, it was a it's a survival mechanism, you know, and you have to you know, judge your environment and figure out how to sort of relate to it. But as as someone that doesn't belong to it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I envy that the stability that yeah you, you, you probably found boring or stifling. I don't know. May, a lot of people do that. People that grow up in the same house their whole life or know the same people. Like I didn't have any of that, you know, I mean, I have no friends from say kindergarten that I know of. Uh, and I've never gone back to, to Russia because there's nothing to go back to, but, uh, it's a different country now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Chicago's as close to home as I've, I've found. I've, I've been here 30 years basically now. Yeah, what I would say about, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, looking back on it, I realize how lucky I am to have that sense of stability. Yeah. At the time, I'm like, I just want to, I wish we could just move. I want to be the new kid. I want to start fresh. <laughs> uh, you know, I just want to, yeah. I want to go to a town where no one knows me. I remember seeing mm. the movie Footloose and the guy like <laughs> moved to the new town. And yeah. I'm like, I want that. So Terror, but, terrorize them with dancing. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would have been doing that, but I don't know. I feel like being around the same kids uh, all of those years, there was a weight to it to me. Mm. Uh, okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There was a weight to it. And I felt like I wanted to shed and, you know, move on. Ultimately, what I realize now, because I'm like 53, mm. that it doesn't really matter. Like it, if it, it that type of movement works for a little bit uh -huh. but very quickly you sort of you kind of create the same world uh i think you kind of create the same world oh, you they, keep, they you keep say, repeating it well you keep you know you can't run away from yourself you're taking yourself with you and, that, and yeah, that, yeah yes and that i i believe for me that is is very accurate um but we don't have to talk about me um, uh, so I have a question about, you know, you have this ability to express and connect with the world through your art, which is great for the rest of the world because yes. we get to see a but, part of you that 
is really interesting and amazing. Um, what do you, did you ever think about if you didn't have this creative outlet, what would be happening with you? I, I wouldn't see any reason to live. I mean, I don't, I don't understand and I've never understood people that just have jobs and then, you know, kind of like that song, everybody's working for the weekend, that kind of idea that mm -hmm. like you have this job and then like you party or you have like go on vacations or something and that's, that's what you like doing. And that's where you really live is like having a good time or whatever. I've never understood it. Mm. Like I don't, I don't understand vacations. Like vacation from what? You know? uh, no, uh, no. My entire like, yeah, <laughs> reason for living or like uh, justification for sort of drawing breath is that I make this stuff. That's that's the reason. There's got to be a reason. Uh, I know, like during the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about uh, how well we shouldn't be judged by being productive or this or that. But uh, I completely disagree. You know, like I, I think if I didn't have these things to do, there would be no reason to stick around. Like zero. <laughs> that's and maybe that's that's screwed up. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, like I said before, I'm not, not that good at relationships. I've tried, you know, yeah. uh, I don't, don't have that many hobbies or other interests, you know, I mean, I like, you know, I love reading, I love music and stuff, but if I couldn't make something out of that, like it would, it would be incredibly frustrating just be, to be a, a receiver of things, you know, like watching every TV show, every movie or whatever. That's not enough. Not for me, you know? Or like just being a good person or having a good life or I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't, I don't know what that means and I don't care. Like I don't care about having a good life. I care about making a couple of things that, uh, move people, you know, <laughs> that connect with, with a few people. If I can do, if I've done that, then it's been worth it. If I haven't, then it hasn't been worth it, you know? <laughs> The people receiving your art mm -hmm. is a part of it. It's not. It's shit. a communicate. Uh, art is to me is a, absolutely a communication. That's why, like, I don't do any art for myself. I mean, while I'm doing it, it's entirely, you know, my world. But once, I, if I decide not to throw it out, if I decide to let it out into the world, like, there's no private art for me. Not even like sketchbooks. We were talking before. Because of uh, the Teresa wanted to buy this drawing from me, and but it's in a sketchbook, and uh, I wouldn't sell her the drawing, but I could sell her the sketchbook. Which there's artists that are horrified by that because the sketchbooks are the most intimate, whatever. They're like, you know, they're kind of like a diary. Uh, but I'll sell them. I'll I'll sell anything I've made uh, easily without any regrets uh, because it's once I'm done doing it, it's it's for other people. Hmm. hopefully it connects how it connects i can't control like once it's out of my hands you know and uh you know painting is a is not a, a logical or a direct kind of communication it, it comes in through like obliquely a lot of times uh, what are the um what are the ways that you are creating stuff obviously you have drawings you have paintings would you consider your writings the same outlet or is that something different? It, it, it has become so uh, it's definitely it's sort of the the late arriver uh, it's a, it, it came as a total surprise and the reason the only reason I've started writing was because uh, 
I got out of art school. I graduated in 93, moved back to Boston, and my first job out of art school was driving a cab. And I drove a cab on and off, you know, for a total of 12 years between Boston and Chicago. And people would get in and just unload, like, with, because it's, I likened it to a confessional, you know, you're in this small space with a stranger that you're never going to see or talk to again. So people would share. <laughs> and I couldn't pull over the cabin and make them sit for a portrait. So I had to start writing down what they said and did. So I made this zine. Uh, it was before computers for me. I mean, I was late to computers. But yeah, I put it together, Kinko's, cut and pasted the old-fashioned way. And I made the zine. But it was mostly just illustrations, these scenes from my beginnings as a cab driver. Illustrations Boston. that you did? Yes. Uh, with like a, I bought a... Uh, Smith Corona manual typewriter and typed out a sentence or two per page uh, about these kind of early experiences as a cab driver and I made one zine then I made a second one and eventually that got uh, that got the attention of uh, somebody at UFC Press I started writing about the cab the new cab experiences in a blog and somebody at UFC Press noticed it and pitched it to them to the press as a book and I knew nothing about book writing or any of it. And that first book was kind of my grad school or workshop in, in writing. Um, and that got me into incorporating writing into the whole creative process. I started writing reviews for various places, this, that, try, making part of my living writing. And now it's definitely baked in there. <laughs> Am I correct in understanding that when you first started writing, it wasn't really a creative outlet? It was more of just a documentation type situation? Is that uh, accurate? No, I mean, I mean, you know, making the zine, which is mostly visual, it definitely has to do with art, you know? Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, okay. I just wanted, I was trying to figure out some way, I was edging into writing, but I didn't know that I wanted to write. And uh, my way in, almost all the creative writing is there's always imagery involved. Mm. Like every one of my books has a ton of art in it. Yeah. And the art comes first, you know, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, grudgingly over the years, I wouldn't even call myself a writer uh, for years and years, you know, but uh, the, the, the mountain of articles and, and books and everything uh, kind of, made me admit that I guess I am a writer. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned um, in your book, Old Style, uh, you mentioned a couple bars. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them was the blue... The blue light. Which yeah. is a real thing. And then the other one was the, the albatross. Alba is yeah. that really that or is that really another bar? No, it's it's a combination of a couple of bars. Okay, but you were a... Okay, but so the, the blue... What is it again? Blue light. Blue, okay, the blue light. You were a bartender. Yes. And then you also had a lot of experience being a bar. It sounds like you were a regular at, at bars. Sure. Is that is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you were, if you're like a shy introvert that you know mostly connects with people through your art, mm -hmm. what was it like going to bars and hanging out? Was it like drinking helped you connect with people, or no. would you just be quiet? Or I used to, I bring my sketchbook and draw. I have a whole, I have a series of paintings I did like at a couple of several bars, uh, and but because you know I've been here for so long and I you keep going to the same places, you keep seeing the same people. Eventually, they get to know you. It's a it's it's a slow process, <laughs> but it, it but it will eventually happen for you. 
Usually, usually yeah. Usually, yeah. yeah but, okay, it just takes time. But yeah, I'm not like a, like I don't, I'm not a bar hopper and luckily I'm not an alcoholic. So <laughs> uh, I like, I like, it's a great place to watch people, watch and listen. You, you can yeah. eavesdrop on conversations. And then as a bartender, you can do all those, you can do all that same stuff I did as a cab driver, I did as a bartender. Yeah. Or it, whatever I am everywhere else. It's like, yeah. I'm very interested in what other people are saying and doing, uh, but I don't. Either I'm not good at participating or don't <laughs> or refuse to, you know, to be part of it. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, when you yeah. were like hanging out at the bar as a patron, were uh, you? did you normally have a sketchbook with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were that uh, guy who yes. was at the bar with the sketchbook. Or a book. Yeah. I'm totally happy to sit and read a book at a bar, not talk to any. Uh, I'd never start a conversation with a stranger ever. Okay. Like, okay. Okay. Hardly ever, you know, like most, but because I go to the same places, I know the bartenders, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Right. that's who I know uh, right. usually is the workers there. And um, then when yeah. you, in blue light, when you talked about being a bartender at, well, mm-hmm. you talked about blue light, but mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like it was um, a combination of different places. Um, and it was a dive bar. So four, it was I, a late night bar, four okay. o'clock bar. Yeah. Okay. So is dive bar considered a derogatory term or not? Well, I have a I have a little chapter in there about what dive bar means. Right. And there I, are people. Yeah. There's sort of like kind of yuppies. The way people, upwardly mobile people, refer to dive bars, it's this like fun, like they're slumming it. You know, it's it's like this fun ironic thing. Whereas to me, a dive bar. And the, the way I mean it is it's a place where alcoholics go that can't go anywhere else where the guy next to you has pissed himself. You know, like it's not a cool thing. Okay. It's, it's not quaint. It's not funny. And it's not like what you tell your your uh, friends that you went on some adventure, you know. To... You definitely <laughs> um, framed working at those bars as a very like dark and like not in a positive light. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, I definitely think that some people would think of hanging out at bars potentially as like a lot of fun and cheers and mm. all that stuff. And it definitely was not, it was done. It, you definitely came a, uh, positioned it as something kind of a bit sad. I mean, the book is, uh, intentionally sort of hazy or vague about which bar, things are happening in there's places in there, which it's not clear which bar I'm talking about. And I kind of did it on purpose, uh, that a bar is a place where time sort of stands still and people go there to reminisce or to like see their best selves, you know, and it's dark and it's, so you don't see things as clearly as you might in, in the daytime, you know, there's reasons that people go to bars. Uh, but the, the albatross was the place where like I sort of, almost began to feel a part of it, you know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have lots of different feelings about bars. I like going to them. It's a great place to, to watch people. Uh, but maybe like you're not sensing that the celebratory or whatever, because it, that's just not in my, uh, <laughs> emotional range or something. I just, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a happy party type. <laughs> Okay. I hate parties. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that that that's my flower limitation. <laughs>
Now, when COVID happened um, and everything was shut down, uh, besides, you know, you, you, how was that for you? Not Fanta- ha- it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was, it was the best. And I hated saying that for a while, but like all it did was remove all the distractions. Distractions from what? Like, well, you know, I couldn't go to restaurants. I couldn't go to movies. So all I could do was work on stuff at home. So what kind of, tell me about the stuff. What, what is well, the one stuff? Well, one of the, the first thing was this, uh, uh, re, I did the, redid the, the two, two cab books and merged it into one, rewrote everything, reordered it. Uh, and that is now available and it's called? All Hack. It's called All Hack and it's available basically only for me, from my okay. website. All right, uh, I like that. And a couple of, couple of bookstores, but I mean, yeah, we could get it into the whole, you know, book distribution the, the horror that is the literary world but that's i think that's i think a, we are, another, i, I yeah. already covered that on yeah. another, another i'm sure episode. yeah uh but basically yeah i mean soup to nuts i mean you know i i do the layout i do editing i do writing i do i do everything on these books except for binding them and printing them you know these four books that i've made in the last few years uh so yeah that doing the the new the new and hopefully final cab book was my first big COVID project. And then, uh, you know, all along I'd been working on that bar book, the old style. That was the other one. I got into making collage. That, that was the other big thing. And collage for me has been great because it sort of merges the art and the writing together because I can have words and I can have images. There's, there's standalone pieces and then there's books, which are like I take an old book and, and rip out a bunch of the pages and then make a whole book and kind of deface an old book and make a new thing out of it. Things like that. Uh, it's kind of been my new thing. And uh, definitely that's as a result of uh, the lockdown because I couldn't go to bars or coffee shops or uh, ride around on the CTA and draw people. Like all these places, all these things that I did or see, see bands, you know. Uh, I had to find some other way to make art. And... Uh, uh, my solution was to dig through all my uh, old sketchbooks, old uh, homework assignments, notebooks, and rip out pages and make new things out of them. So you're constantly creating stuff, it sounds like. It's it's, it's the way I relate to the world. If I'm okay. not doing that, then I'm sort of... I mean, yeah, of course I have da- downtime, but uh, that's that's what the whole my whole life is geared towards. Understood. Yeah. Um, and then let me, when you, like during COVID, when you're home and mm-hmm. you're creating and you're doing collage, do you feel like you are relating to the world when you're doing that by yourself? Yes. Or, okay, you do. You feel like that is, you're connecting. Yes. So yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to, you feel that sense of connection even though you haven't shared it yet with people. Yeah. And also after, I mean, in, in a funny way, like the art shows or like, you know, book after it's published or whatever, it's sort of an afterthought and that I don't, I can't even participate in it because once it's out of my hands, uh, it's, it's for someone else to make a story about or relate to their own life. I mean, when it works, any of this art or writing, it's, it's really a mirror pointed out, you know? You're supposed to connect. You see something of yourself or something you can think about that relate. It's not about me, you know? Like, if, I, if I've done my job right, like, you're not going to... You may know something about me a little bit, uh, <laughs> but it's not really about me. It's more about you, you know? Like, if, I, if I'm doing the job right, you know? 
in any of it. Uh, yeah. How do you get your aesthetic artifacts and your writings? How do you get them out into the world? Obviously, you have published books. Yeah. What are the other channels that you use to get your stuff out to people? Because uh, well, you're not on social media. No, I quit social media seven years ago. It's one of the one of the wisest decisions. I haven't made that many wise decisions in my life. That was a wise decision. Uh, it saved my sanity. I quit social media in 2015, you know, before before the 2016 election. And I loved in one of your books, you said that <laughs> getting off Twitter, you went to Instagram and you said Instagram was like the methadone of Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. to Twitter is heroin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I put in seven years on Twitter. You know, it's not like people think I'm some kind of Luddite or something. I, I just pick, I think we should be allowed to pick and choose and have these things work for us rather than the way around other way around and yeah. so much of it as people are realizing more and more like you know with facebook especially is that you know you're on their hamster wheel you're giving them free you're doing market research you're doing all kinds of research for them for free you know uh giving them you know that horrible word content <laughs> uh so you're not on social media but no. you, you know, i have you a have newsletter uh is email newsletter yes Okay. Uh, which has been very valuable. Uh, like I get, you know, I get commissions, I get all kinds of connections through that. Uh, and it scratches the itch of whatever pontificating that we all have access to through social media. So know? it's kind of like your blog, but it's in your people's yes. inbox. Yeah. And it's also on a site. It's on, it's on Substack. So there's a, there's a pay option and there's a bunch of people that subscribe and pay and pay and get a, a second newsletter on Thursdays. So it's published every Monday morning at eight. Uh, I've been doing that. I've been doing the newsletter for about 10 years, uh, but in a more organized way for like six. How do I subscribe to that? How do we subscribe to that? Uh, you just go to my web website or you look up samarov.substack.com or go to my website. There's okay. a link that says newsletter. And what uh, sort of stuff would I be getting? Uh, it would be something about whatever I was doing that week. Uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, five, 500 to 1,000 words uh, uh, with images always, either like new artwork or something, whatever experience, uh, whatever, whatever was uh, bugging me that week. <laughs> so these books that I read, Music to My Eyes and this, uh, now what do you call this book? Old Style. You call Just it old, old style. style. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Music to my eyes. Um, so it's this book where you are obviously, as we discussed, very passionate about music, other yes. people's music. Um, and you go, you have a lot of thoughts, ideas, emotions, opinions related <laughs> to all of this stuff. Yes. This was interesting to me because I am not a band guy. I'm oh, not okay. a live music guy at yeah. all. So it was wonderful to see how you were so, your brain was so activated by yeah. them. Um, so it's each chapter is sort of like a different band. Or, uh, or a group of bands. Or a group like of a, bands. Yeah, thematically linked bands, yeah. And then you have all of these um, really awesome sketches yeah. that you've done while you are watching the bands yeah. and um, they're really, they're really beautiful. So this seems like a, a creative artistic person's dream to be able to produce something like this, where it's a combination <laughs> of writing, drawing yeah. your passion. Yeah. Is, is this like one of the coolest things you've ever done? That book? Yeah. It is for sure. Uh, well, it started the series of these four books that I've 
you know, I found uh, a printer in in Michigan who was able to make these books fairly affordably and very nicely. Uh, yeah, they're beautiful. The quality yeah. is fantastic. I know it's it's great. People are amazed by it, and you know, it's absolutely the opposite. You should judge books by their covers. Like my whole thing is geared towards that. <laughs> For the reason people buy these books is because of the covers. The covers may be better than what's inside. You know, I don't know. <laughs> in a way uh but uh yeah uh and uh so this one here is music to my eyes so this yeah, is the, it's one the that... first one in this it came out in 2019 that one was in partnership with a small press but i bet i really did all the work for it okay. uh, uh and it, it gave me the last push into self-publishing uh okay. which the, the following three books are completely self-published and then uh, the second one that i read is old style which yeah. is you're talking about your experience in bars, both as a yeah. regular, a patron, and yeah. all of the different people that you meet, and also the relationships yeah. that you got in. And it's almost like, it's sort of like a diary, mm -hmm. but it's really funny. It's, Good. It's very, very funny. Because you were talking earlier about the darkness. I was hoping it wasn't so depressing that it was like a bummer. But <laughs> No, it wasn't a bummer at all. Oh, good. It I'm was, glad. It was awesome. I thought it was really... I'm going to actually recommend this to a bunch of my friends. Sweet. For them to buy this because yeah. um, I Operators thought... Operators are standing by right thought, now <laughs> to take your order. <laughs> I thought it was wonderful. And also, I felt like maybe some of my friends from Boston so they could... Because I feel like there's something very Chicago about this. Yeah. Um, well, it's a book called Old Stack. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> and for people yeah. that don't know, can you tell me old style? Old style is this this brand of crummy beer that, uh, for a time, was on every bar sign, every neighborhood bar in the city. I it's mean, almost it, on every block. It's ubiquitous. Yeah, it's but everywhere. Much here in less Chicago. so than it used to be, but uh, yeah, um, it's you know, it's the Budweiser of Chicago or the Rolling Rock, whatever your uh, regional cheap beer is old style was for Chicago. I mean, um, after living here for like two weeks, I remember asking someone, what the hell is old style? Yeah. You know, because it's those big plastic signs that yeah. are like sticking hanging off the at, side of hanging over the bars. Yeah. Yes, over the street uh, oftentimes. And uh, yeah, the so yeah, the, uh, the blue light had one of those and many, many, many neighborhood bars have that. It's sort of a trademark or a hallmark of, of the city. Um, so this is kind of a, a weird question, okay. but, um, like what do these books do anything for you other than allowing you to connect with the world? Is there anything that is like healing or transformative or anything like that? Like when you finish this, do you mm -hmm. feel like something has changed in you? Um, I'm sure it has, but I'm. I'm really not um, that kind of uh, like I want to say self-analysis or uh, psychologizing is not really my mode. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not very interested. Like my joke is always I'd like to know less about myself. Like I feel like I know too much already. <laughs> you know, I'm very interested in looking out at the world, uh, but I'm sure that going through these projects and being completely immersed in them. Like when what's amazing is, you know, I'll get completely obsessed and do this thing for years. You know, that book took a couple of years to put together all told, and then I'm done with it. And it's like, it, it's gone. It, it's like, it never happened. 
it's I get it out of my system and I move on to the next thing. But there's obviously an effect and one, th- one project will inform the next. And I think, I mean, I think that old style is the best written book I've made so far. Uh, it's the first one I've allowed myself, you know, to call fiction. I wouldn't let, I thought that I wasn't allowed to do that until that book. I had to make that one fiction because I had to change names to protect the guilty. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. and stuff. But uh, uh, so there's definitely a cumulative effect of make, doing these projects and uh, things get better. There's also some things I can't do anymore, especially with art-wise. Uh, I don't know. There's people that like a uh, series of paintings or drawings I did you know, 20, 30 years ago and would probably want me to work in that way again, and I can't. I just can't do it. For various reasons, you know, meaning your create your creativity well, has turned into something different. It change, yeah, it changes over time. And you know, I'm, I make part of my living doing like pet portraits. I do commissions of various kinds, and in those modes, I often have to go back to ways of working that I don't actually do much anymore because that's what's required. But I do that in order to pay bills. You know what I mean? I don't do that uh, when left to my own devices. Okay. Uh, So So like now I'm so, I'm super into all this collage stuff. So I'm not gonna, I may go back to like oil painting, painting again. I haven't done an oil painting in a couple of years. I used to do more of them. I used to do them fairly, you know, regularly. But uh, all my paintings and drawings prior to the collage were done from direct observation. You know, that's the other big part of it is that uh, collage let me work in a way. I still think of it as direct observation because I'm working with real action bits and pieces of things. I'm looking at them. I'm not. uh, It's not secondary. It's it's still primary sources. You know, Dimitri, you have a show coming up where people can actually (laughs) see your collages where where and when. (laughs) can go to uh, Compound Yellow uh, in Oak Park. It's 244 West Lake Street in Oak Park, uh, accessible by the Green Line. And it's the date is when? Uh, the 21st of January. It's a Friday. Uh, I don't know the hours for the for the show. The, the show will run a couple of weeks, but mostly by appointment. But that evening on the 21st, uh, there will be an opening and a uh, uh, a concert by some friends of mine called the mute, the mute duo. Uh, uh, so it's going to be a pretty interesting evening. And my first time displaying these collages I've worked at on for the last couple of years. Uh, so that's an exciting thing. Uh, that's, that's, that's very exciting. That's, yeah. I will be there. Yeah. You can, yeah. Other than that, uh, yeah, there's that newsletter that we talked about that you can subscribe to. Uh, you can probably, get a lot find out more about me than you ever wanted to know reading that newsletter (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you very much dimitri i appreciate it yeah thanks for having me my name is ricky mcgeckrin and you have been listening to eager to know the podcast if you haven't already please go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast join me next week for another eager to know podcast